0: This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and welcome to Self Work, or perhaps welcome back. Today's topic has to be addressed very carefully And if you've been sexually abused, remember that this may trigger a response, maybe memories or anxiety or nightmares. So if you're going to listen, listen with care. The National Sexual Abuse Hotline is 1-800-656-HOPE or 4673. So please keep that in mind. As a clinical psychologist for over 20 years, I've treated a lot of people for sexual abuse. Statistics vary from study to study, but not so much. Most of the time you find that at least in the United States, and I know some of you are not listening from the United States, but in the United States, one out of every four women has been sexually abused in some way, and one out of, dependent on the study, every six or seven men. So it is a rampant problem in our culture, and one that many people have misconceptions about. For example, most sexual abuse perpetrators are people that you know, not strangers, as many people might assume. But today I'm going to be talking about an aspect of sexual abuse that is rarely talked about. I'm going to mention conditions that can evolve from having been sexually abused, and then again, the shame about sexual abuse that's rarely revealed, and I'm going to give you three case histories of people that I worked with. The reason why it's important to talk about is that the shame involved is often what keeps anyone from telling or revealing that they've been sexually abused. If I or this podcast can do anything to encourage people to talk about what's happened to them, then I want to do that. Our listener email today is from a woman who's at a point in her life where she's jumped from relationship to relationship, and she's always blamed her partners for the problem— And now she's recognizing very painfully that she's been just as much a part of the problem as them. And what should she do? So we'll be talking more about that and about sexual abuse. Another reason I bring this up on this podcast of self-work is because a podcast is likely something that a sexual abuse victim will listen to because he or she is still wanting to discount or deny the impact of the sexual abuse on them. So if this is you, please listen, or if you suspect someone that you know and love has been sexually abused, please encourage them to listen. Thanks so much for being here. I can't tell you how many times, as a psychologist in private practice over 20 years now, Sessions have started out, or at least one session, usually not the initial session, has started out with these words from my patient. I'm so ashamed I've never told anyone this. So what comes first is not the story, but the shame about the story. Even though a victim may realize rationally that she was a trusting child, shame could still exist. Even though he recognizes that he was doped in a bar and never gave consent of any kind, He can feel dirty. Even if the attack was completely random on a college campus, a woman can feel at fault. For example, I worked with a young woman many years ago whose apartment had been randomly chosen by someone actually who escaped from jail. He broke in, he got a butcher knife, made her do unspeakable things, and then he did leave. She actually fought the case and won it in court. But I can remember the third or fourth session where she said things like, I know I shouldn't have lived in that neighborhood, or maybe my lock wasn't strong enough. Even though the rape was incredibly random, she was completely unknown to her perpetrator. She was beginning to find fault with herself. This can happen, but it can be worked through as well. You know, rationally, it's not your fault, but your mind and your heart are at odds. It can take years before you begin to heal, and it's often complicated by conditions that develop as a response to being sexually abused. What are these conditions? Sometimes you can self-harm, meaning you deliberately cut yourself or inflict physical harm to yourself. You may have caught a sexually transmitted disease or infection, and that can be tremendously shameful. You can develop substance abuse. So that you can distract or discount or escape what you're feeling. A lot of times people can dissociate during sexual abuse, especially if it's chronic. The brain uses this defense in in order to be able to handle the actual trauma. It almost takes itself out of the picture. I've had people tell me, for example, that they felt like they were floating near the ceiling and watching themselves being raped or hurt. That's called dissociation. You can develop an eating disorder. Basically, you're trying to find a way to feel some sense of control. Obviously, you can get pregnant if you're a woman, and you can have grave concerns about whether or not you're going to become pregnant. Sleep disorders are a huge problem. You can want to sleep at unusual times during the day. You may not be able to sleep or have trouble falling asleep. Suicide is also a problem because the damage done... With sexual abuse, can be so great. There are groups like adult survivors of child sexual abuse that are out there to help and support, but depression and anxiety, post traumatic stress disorder, all of those can develop from sexual abuse. Yet in today's episode, I want to talk more specifically about a kind of shame surrounding sexual abuse that few reveal, not all experience, and that's one of the reasons why it's difficult. To get people to reveal, because it's not uncommon, but it's not talked about when it does happen. Let me give you some examples and know that these are real stories that I've heard from people over the years. And I want to remind you again if you have been sexually abused, please listen very carefully because these stories may trigger you. John was 12 when his aunt and uncle took him to a camp in Missouri. The brochure he had seen showed a big husky man grinning as he taught young boys how to ride horses, feed chickens, and learn about life on the farm. They also had some exotic animals, I think. It looked fun, and John couldn't wait to get there. Now, as my patient, and with a dead look on his face, the 25-year-old John described the horror of what had happened at night. The farm was a pornography factory. He and the other boys had been drugged, videoed, and made to do every kind of sexual act imaginable. He thought his aunt and uncle had known, and when they picked him up a week later, John never said a word. He also didn't understand something that he had never revealed to anyone, that his body had responded to what was happening. He was at the very cusp of manhood, and his hormones were raging, so even though he knew that these things he was doing were wrong, that they didn't feel good, he had orgasms, and he didn't understand Shannon had been home alone. It was a hot Wednesday afternoon. Here in Arkansas, they are bad. And it seemed the same as other Wednesday afternoons. She lived out a bit from town with neighbors close enough to see, but not close enough to get their attention easily. Her husband had left hours ago for work. She heard something, looked up, and saw a strange man standing in the door frame. He looked wild like he was high on something. Shannon was viciously raped. But again, like John, she said to me, Dr. Margaret, I felt myself having an orgasm and I could not believe it. I tried to stop it. I tried everything I could do to stop it. But my body responded. I feel awful about that. I certainly can't tell my husband what happened. The third example Carly. Carly was five when her mother remarried. She adored her new stepfather her own dad having disappeared after the divorce. So when he wanted to help her with her bath, she held his hand and followed happily. Bath time slowly became something she hated. The fondling didn't begin all at once, but slowly evolved as part of the bath ritual. Even a five-year-old can experience arousal. She didn't understand. She would say, but I wasn't old enough yet. I didn't understand what was going on. But a child's body can also respond. And the kicker, her mom would thank her stepfather every night for helping out. As I said before, these are real stories, and they join the many other painful stories I've heard of children being manipulated, dates gone terribly wrong, and sex forcibly taken by strangers or someone known. In all three of the above cases, the victims told me very slowly and painfully how their bodies had responded, how they had experienced arousal. John hated his body for responding, irrationally believing that if he hadn't, he could have achieved some control over the situation. Shannon was horrified that she experienced something like orgasm, even though she had tried to fight off her attacker and had been badly cut and bruised. Carly, a woman now, can remember liking it, quote unquote, but feeling quote unquote, confused and bad. The thing to know, the thing to try to understand, is that what was perhaps the most awful experience of their lives, let's hope it was the most awful experience of their lives, their nerve endings had acted as if what was happening was normal, and they felt incredible shame. Now, this doesn't seem to happen all the time, and I've got a link in the show notes to an article discussing that. There are many times I hear about sexual abuse or rape, and there's no mention of any kind of arousal. The confusion is that it's far from pleasure. What is happening is horrible, invasive, or criminal. You're not enjoying what's happening. Every part of your mind is screaming for it to stop. Sexual arousal during sexual abuse isn't pleasure or giving consent. Now, why is this important, especially if it doesn't happen all the time? Because this shame can linger far longer than the shame of the abuse itself. It can permanently entrench itself in your gut, in your soul. Your body responded the way it's geared to respond. And if you were groomed for sexual abuse, meaning the perpetrator gradually introduced him or herself to you in inappropriate ways, but it started out like perhaps your grandfather had you find quarters in his pocket or ask you if you'd like to know what happens between adults and tells you it's his job to teach you. So you think, oh, I'm going to grow up and do what adults do. And so you go along with it. That's called grooming. And the effect is to have the victim accommodated to touching or fondling and then intercourse. The perpetrator wants to decrease the anxiety that might make the victim fight back. So this kind of shame This kind of feeling as if your body betrayed you can give you even more reason to hide. It helps to talk about sexual abuse, especially with a therapist who has the experience of knowing how to handle it and what to say, how to guide you so that you're not overwhelmed with the feelings involved or the memories involved, but how to guide you through the steps of understanding and having compassion for yourself. Sometimes healing is realizing that carrying the shame around with you prolongs the power your perpetrator has over you. And you get angry about that. That anger can be very motivating. Please remember, your body responded. You didn't make a choice. And none of it was your fault. There are two books that are really excellent resources for people who have been sexually abused and are carrying shame around about it. One is by John Bradshaw, Healing the Shame that Binds You, and another by Laura Davis, which is actually a workbook called The Courage to Heal. She also provides a workbook for partners of people who've been sexually abused, which can also be very helpful. So today's email from a listener is definitely about taking responsibility for your own behavior, And sometimes that's very painful. Hi, Dr. Rutherford. I've been a big fan of your show and first want to thank you for your wonderful and genuine approach to therapy. Thank you very much. I have a question today about blind spots and volatility in relationships. I've been in a relationship for a few years now. It has been a roller coaster. I'm an almost 40-year-old woman and have been a serial monogamist for almost 11 years. I've left every person I've been with because of feeling suffocated or controlled. I have finally found the one who has kicked me out of my blindness in not taking responsibility for hurt that I've inflicted on the men in my past. I'm now horrified that I've done the same thing to someone I truly love, and I feel like I can't be sorry any longer for fear of my life shutting down in regret. I feel like I've always had blind spots about the way I behave, and now the fear of being about to lose someone who means the most to me has lifted one of the veils in front of those blind spots. I feel like I'm looking at the ugly parts of myself through a sandblasted mirror. It's there, but all my hurts have made it too tender to look at. I've been slowly driving away this person who says he can no longer trust me, and I don't know up from down about how to save it or simply to let it go. So, here's my answer. Some of you may have had very volatile relationships and not realized what your own role is so i hope my answer is helpful hi it can be very sad when you don't realize patterns in your behavior then when you do and sometimes it does take someone you love pointing it out to you you can no longer blame others totally and it certainly can feel jarring people can get addicted to roller coaster partnerships as painful as those relationships can be again realizing you're a part of the dynamic is vital for growth but it may have a cost. I'm not real clear about what's going on with the person you love, that they aren't willing to stick around to see if you can change, because people change all the time with enough motivation. But understand your motivation really needs to be about changing yourself for you, not for saving the relationship. That will not work. We simply do not maintain change. We may make initial change, but In general, we human beings do not maintain change because it makes someone else happy. We have to like our life ourselves better. I also hear you battling shame that you're a bad person because you've done things or had a painful impact on others that you didn't realize. That will only be helpful if you allow it to help you grow and mature. That shame may be paralyzing if you drown in it. We all have blind spots. I told a story in a recent podcast about me not understanding how I was talking about money with my husband, and it was a huge blind spot on my part. Blind spots are part of being human. We can only hope that others will love us, sometimes even for them. There are most likely childhood connections with your problems, and trying to piece those together may be really important. You also mentioned trust is a problem. It's interesting that it could be that your previous denial of your part in things was a way to never have to trust. You keep being in relationships and then leaving them. You ended them before you actually began to have to trust. You could stay in a blaming place and then reject. Then my last paragraph to her, I hope you get therapy locally and work with someone to help you make those connections. Growth is painful. Honesty with yourself can hurt. That's why a lot of people aren't willing to do it. Good luck. I want to thank you all for listening to this episode of self work. If you've made it this far into the podcast, I know that you're really interested in what I have to say. And I so appreciate that. I didn't start podcasting until last October. And I'm happy to announce that last month was by far the largest amount of people who had listened. So please tell your friends, give me a rating or review on wherever you listen iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud at my website. Ah. Oh, I haven't given you that information yet. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com and I blog there weekly. You can also email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I'd love to hear from you. It's confidential. And even if I use your comment, which of course you can tell me you don't want me to do, if I use your comment on the podcast, I will make sure that no one is able to identify you. Thanks for listening and take very good care. Until next time, I'm Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self Work.